just a heads up that the following podcast does contain all the spoilers. Hey, man. Oh, hey, other creepy guy. Uh, that kid over there. You think we could get him to watch Godzilla 1984? Sure. Just hang on. Hey, kid. Yeah? You want to watch Godzilla 1984? I can't promise you any Raymond Burr, but I'll tell you what. I'll let you drink a Dr. Pepper. Sure. Who's that? Who's that other guy right behind you? Uh, I'm nobody, but I got cherry sours. Oh, cool, cool, yeah. Get in the van. Welcome to the Corrupted Youth Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Brennan. And we're a father and son duo that explores the latest blockbusters, classic genre films, and the schlockiest of golden age VHS rental store flicks in spoiler-heavy fashion. So, we have a special episode, part of our four-part series, covering one era of the Godzilla series leading up to the release of King of the Monsters. And for today's episode, we will be covering the Heisei era of films, and we'll be doing Godzilla 1984, or Godzilla 1985, or The Return of Godzilla, or there's a lot of different titles, but <laughs> we get the point. Yeah, and this week, we have a very special guest joining us, our first outside guest ever, Court Psyops from the Cinema Psyops podcast. Welcome, Court. Now, am I a special needs guest on this special episode, and do we learn a moral lesson by the end of it? You might get pushed off a waterfall. But there might be an alien to save you. <laughs> I know what this is. You guys are leaving a signal for me to go wandering into some lava pit so you can trap me in there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Court, um, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast? Well, I have been podcasting now for just about five years. We're coming up on uh, the end of our fourth year, the start of our fifth year, and my flagship show is Cinema PsyOps. I'm a member of the Legion Podcast Network, and that's about the most I can really tell your audience about the show because we're so filthy, just even mentioning the name might get you an e-tag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of your show. I've been listening to you guys oh, pretty early on. I don't think you had too many episodes by the time I started listening. Yeah, you're definitely one of our OG listeners. I remember interacting with you a lot sooner than a lot of the other people that have come along. And I I definitely remember being like, wait, that guy does art when I saw other people <laughs> using, like having you do artwork for them and stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, he's really good. I'm like, this, this is that guy from Wisconsin. I've always given crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I grew up tough. I can take it. Well, I mean, when you grow up in Wisconsin, I would assume you would have to be tough, uh, unless you're Matt. <laughs> <laughs> That's my co-host for the people that haven't listened to the show because of how filthy it is. Yeah, I just remember that one time when um, you had some special event come up, and I recorded a 
thing for you guys where I involved Brennan and you guys were freaking out because I used like one of the worst movies you've ever <laughs> yeah. covered. Yeah, it was you had him pretending to be listening to our necromantic episode and you did the parody of the uh the drug like anti-drug commercial in the 80s like where'd you learn to to do this stuff and the kid screams i learned it by watching you and like you 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 mixed in us doing like some of the worst talk during the necromantic episode for that and matt and i were both like jesus i really hope he did not play that for his son because that's bad (laughs) (laughs) no 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 we he didn't actually listen to any of it but um one of the funny things is though is that my phone always wants to default to one of your episodes about um oh it it was the full franchise fest for death wish oh so so sometimes when i get in my car it'll just start playing it And it did not it did not go over very well with my wife last week. I can only imagine because that's probably the episode that we started alluding to illicit sexual activities that may or may not have caused Michael Douglas's throat cancer. I believe that's the the time frame that that started in. And we got I mean, even for us, we got a bit to where I'm like looking at Matt going, I think we're going a little too blue here. And then he's shaking his head like, no, no. And I'm like, OK, I guess we'll just keep going. so what you're basically saying is that the bazell household will probably end up in tragedy because of our show and i feel terrible about that and i'm deeply sorry but on the plus side brendan two christmases right am i right am i right (laughs) yeah that is true no my wife's heard way worse from me Well, you're both huge Guar fans, so I mean, for goodness sake, she should be used to anything we're going to throw your guys' way. Oh, absolutely. But she still likes to pretend to be prudish now and again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to give the illusion. You gotta. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. So, Cord, uh, why don't you tell us about um, your history with Godzilla and why you love Godzilla? I think I was probably, now this is preschool age, so if I do the math, I would probably say like three or four, maybe? Because that, that sounds about right, because kindergarten's usually five years old, depending. Um, unless you're, once again, special needs like myself, and then you have to, like, delay it a little bit. Not, <laughs> I, I was actually just born in that cutoff date. Like, I was, like, born on the cutoff date <laughs> for my school district, which was kind of funny that they're like, no, nah, you can wait till next year, kid. You're, you're fine. But, uh... I think I was probably three or four years old, and it was on a regular broadcast TV. It was like a movie of the week night, and they played, um, well, at the time it was called Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, but it was Godzilla vs. Deborah, and we actually did cover that on our show. I think that was like our fifth episode that we did. That was one of the one of the movies that we covered, and I, I don't know what it was specifically that caught me so much about it but i just remember watching the giant monster battle and just like it clicking like everything just felt right like like it it all made sense like that's that's the way that this is the way that life was meant to be for me or something i don't know how else to put it (laughs) but just like this is this is what i'm going to be into for the rest of my days and it has to do with I, i think just the right time and place and and that's my earliest memory of being able to watch Godzilla. But the thing that truly solidified it, and I think I talk about this on that episode of Cinema PsyOps too, once again, tying into my show to try and bring in some listeners and leech them off of you guys. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was um, Grandpa Munster 
Al Lewis used to host a thing on TBS on Saturday afternoons, like late morning, early afternoons, that was called Super Scary Saturday. And I, I remember that. I saw a ton of movies there. Like that's how I first saw the abominable Dr. Fibes that terrified me for ages. <laughs> I, you know, I watched it in the middle of the day and I couldn't stop thinking about it for like the rest of the time there. <laughs> you know, like that, that whole day, I'm just like terrified. Yeah, I can see where that movie would stick to a kid's ribs for sure. Well, and they didn't edit anything out, anything, because it was it was <laughs> ready to go for broadcast TV in midday, you know, but it was so brutal, the stuff that it was implied with. But anyway, the Super Scary Saturday actually had, they did a marathon thing where it was like several Godzilla movies in a row. It was like three or four of them. And I know for sure one of them was the one with uh, Mania or whatever, you know, the, the little guy that's on the island, but not the good one of that, you know? It's the it's the one with the little kid who's having, like, these weird fantasy dreams about oh, Godzilla. Oh, Godzilla's Revenge. Yeah, that's Godzilla's Revenge. I always mix them up, because I think the other one was Son of Godzilla, and then they made Godzilla's Revenge out of the footage from Son of Godzilla. They, yeah, they, they used most of it. Yeah, I mean, they just, yeah, they basically just kind of, like, recut it or whatever, but I saw that version of it, which, at the time, I want to say I was probably six or seven when this was airing, and, like, you know, max, like at the oldest. And I just remember watching that and a bunch of other movies. And that movie hit me at the perfect time because like I was the right age to identify with that kid, you know, because I guess I ran with a street gang too and like took on thugs. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know how that happened where I grew up, but I guess, but uh, it was that one. And then um, I can't remember the other ones that aired on that, but I think it was one of the, the later Godzilla movies. And I do believe that this one played shortly after that because i think super scary saturday was piggybacking onto a tbs premiere or a tbs like you know sort of like a a tbs special thing you know afternoon movie but super scary saturday was leading up to this one to godzilla 1985 and by the time i saw raymond burr in godzilla 1985 and remembered seeing the original godzilla at some point in that time frame then. I don't know exactly when, but I know I saw the black and white Godzilla before this on cable somewhere. But I think they even played, like, I think it was actually Godzilla and then Godzilla 85 on that that same Saturday that they did with, Al Lewis hosted like two or three of them and then they did like the original Godzilla and then 85 back to back in the afternoon. And by the time Godzilla 85 had the the big explosions and all the stuff that's happening with the city attack that we'll be talking about that's like one of my favorite Godzilla rampages ever put on film. I was pretty much hooked and I'm stomping around my house and you know going <laughs> you know just you know and and doing lizard noises and I've been pretty much obsessed ever since to varying degrees where I've been hiding it. Sometimes I hide it and sometimes I don't. It depends upon whether or not you were around me whenever a Godzilla movie was on in any way, shape or form because I couldn't hide it at all. But I wasn't, it wasn't one of those things like when I was like, you know, around Brennan's days, I wasn't talking about it because it was totally unhip to like Godzilla. <laughs> that oh, time. yeah it was it was not cool when we were younger to be into stuff like this no not at all man it was a it was a a freaking melvin and a wedgie pulled into one where like one jock would grab you from the back and one would grab from the front and just like have you ride in a hammock of of wedge <laughs> <laughs> yeah you live in a golden age son yeah if I guess. As much as um, it has done damage to nerd culture, I kind of have to credit the Big Bang Theory for kind of making it cool, sort of, where people are like tolerant of it, but they're like, the term that you use for that, Brennan, the nerd face thing is perfect for that, where it's it's still kind of demeaning and they're still kind of like making fun of us, but at the same time, they're like, 
Oh, but I guess you're a human being, too, who has feelings, even though I want to punch you for playing Talisman the Gathering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So next, we'll cover some film details. Mm-hmm. So Godzilla 1985, or The Return of Godzilla, or Godzilla 1984. You know what? I'm just going to call it 85. That's way easier. <laughs> was directed by Koji Hashimoto. It was written by... Oh, boy. <laughs> you know what? It stars Keiji Kobayashi, Hiroshi Kazumi, Taku... Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, Raymond Burr, no. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That's fine. Those are the big ones. I don't feel like butchering Japanese names. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention that Keijo Kobayashi was the co-inventor of the test used in Starfleet. It was him and a guy named Maru. Really? Huh. Ah. <laughs> Kobayashi Maru test, the one that Kirk cheated on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it. It was there. Yeah, anytime you want to interject with some goofy facts, go right ahead. I know Brennan's probably got a bunch up his sleeve. I don't know if that's really a fact. That's just a common name for a test that is featured in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with that with that done, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and play the trailer from 1985. Because if we did the Japanese one, it wouldn't make much sense to the listeners. In 1956, he first appeared on motion picture screens across the country. His impact on audiences was instantaneous and unprecedented. His acting technique was revolutionary. His presence, overwhelming. He possessed more raw talent than any performer of his generation. He soon became an international legend, a giant who took the world by storm. Then, suddenly, at the height of his fame, he retired from motion pictures. Now, he is back, and he's more magnificent, more glamorous, more devastating than ever. Prepare yourself, for the greatest star of all has returned. That was a great trailer. <laughs> it's certainly the greatest trailer for Godzilla I've ever heard in this exact moment. I didn't know Kermit was selling crack out of a back alley, but I guess that could fit into the Godzilla universe. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, the, that was the only one I could find that does not mention Raymond Burr. <laughs> because we definitely did not watch the U.S. version with Raymond Burr. Yeah. I have that, but it's like a VHS rip that I grabbed offline somewhere, and it's on my Plex server. It ain't good. <laughs> it ain't good at all. <laughs> no, actually, in order to show this to Brennan, we had to buy a bootleg copy. Yeah, I found it at some, obviously, this guy just selling illegal copies of everything that you could think of. And I found Godzilla 1985, and I knew right away, because I heard about the whole um, problem with the rights to distribute the movie. I knew that it was illegal, but I bought it anyway because I really wanted to watch it. And it actually came with all three versions. It came with the international dub, it came with the Raymond Burr American version, and then it came with the original Japanese home video version. So actually it was a really good deal. I had a bootleg of it for a while, but I ended up buying that Kraken release Blu-ray where it's the full uncut Japanese version, but with the international dub over top of it. Yeah, that's what we... 
Yeah, that's what we purchased too. Because anytime, like, I, I like to believe that if something's not available, you know, get the bootleg. But if it becomes available, go ahead and buy it when it comes out. Yeah, absolutely. Because the gray market guys are just there for people like us that, that want the stuff and we can't wait for a legit release. But then when the legit release happens, put your money down, man. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to run through the plot synopsis. If anybody has anything to say during this, because the last one we did was actually we could sum up that movie really quick. Mm -hmm. This might take a little bit longer, but so hang in there, folks. So the plot synopsis is a ship is caught in a storm near Daikotu Island, which soon erupts, releasing Godzilla. Reporter Goromaki finds the missing boat while out on a casual sail. While inside, Goro finds one survivor who is an electrical engineer named Hiroshi Akumura and is then attacked by a giant sea louse. Actually, this part was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it actually was, it, it sparked two things to my mind immediately watching it this time around. One, Godzilla showing up to attack a boat and only being partially exposed and shown is very reminiscent of the original. I really dug the way that they did it where they're trying to kind of emulate the very first appearance of Godzilla and I think they nail it this time around I really from watching it I really feel that they nailed it perfectly and I love that and then the giant louse that is you know a parasite that climbs off of Godzilla I immediately flash to Pacific Rim and all of the various bugs and things like that that get pulled off of those kaiju and you know exactly where Guillermo del Toro pulled that from with this film and you just kind of get a warm feeling in your heart knowing that he's one of us <laughs> yeah the same with um why, why Cloverfield. Cloverfield. I don't know why I'm brain farting so bad. Yeah, today. wow. Uh, old age, I guess. The thing that's uh, interesting about the ones in Cloverfield, and I'm not a huge fan of Cloverfield, but there's parts of it that I really dig. Um, the one thing that I really enjoyed was that they were called seats. Something else also terrible. I love that acronym <laughs> for them. That that's that what those cool. parasites are. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Something else also terrible. <laughs> it's just they just shorten it to seats, you know. And it's that's kind of that's got a tradition in the Godzilla universe as well where they can't think of something to name it. They just go ahead and give it an acronym and then that just becomes a name. <laughs> they even use that in uh, the latest uh, legendary pictures with the Mutos, which are massive unidentified terrestrial objects <laughs> or organisms, I'm sorry, organisms. <laughs> okay, so carrying on. The two return to Tokyo where the government wants to keep the discovery of a returning Godzilla a secret. Goro meets up with Professor Hayashida and also Hiroshi's sister, Maki, who literally does nothing throughout the entire movie, yeah. who he lets know her brother is indeed still alive. Godzilla attacks and destroys a Soviet nuclear sub helmed by a Ron Burgundy lookalike. <laughs> Since this is the Cold War, the Soviets blame the U.S. and both get war boners. <laughs> Japan wants none of this, so they reveal the return of Godzilla, as well as a secret weapon known as the Super X, to defend against the Big G. Yeah, since the oxygen destroyer is gone, they got to create something new to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because otherwise, what the heck are you going to do? <laughs> I also love that uh, all of the uh, waspy people in this movie are the ones that are warmongering, because, yeah, that fits. <laughs> Indeed. So Godzilla, still being hangry for radiation, attacks a nuclear power plant. It is there that the professor notices Godzilla left after a flock of cutely animated birds and <laughs> concludes that Godzilla may have some homing instincts, just like birds. If they can create a device to simulate the effect, they could lure Godzilla into a volcano, blow it up, and trap Godzilla inside. Sounds easy enough. I do have a quick question. I'm not as up 
on knowing every single little nuance of every one of the films because I'm just like a giant monster smashing them up kind of fan. Is this the first time that we see Godzilla living off of nuclear energy and like that's what he eats essentially? I believe so. Um, I know in some of the earlier movies and even later in Godzilla vs. Destroya, they show that Godzilla eats other living creatures. But yes, I do believe this is the first one, but definitely not the last one to show that Godzilla eats nuclear energy. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I really like, the idea that they live off of like some type of radiation or, or something like that, that these creatures are that much further from what, you know, normal life on Earth as we know it is like. And that's one of the things I'm glad that Legendary carried over into the modern Godzilla era, that like he will eat other things, but they can just absorb radiation and it makes them like like these massively strong creatures and that that's what they're from, a world that was more irradiated which is really an interesting idea that they kind of they, they kind of like developed off on their own and i just didn't know if i didn't know if there was one earlier than this and i couldn't remember and i know that they kind of make references to or they kind of hint at it later on that we see as well so that's why i wanted to ask no i i believe i asked brennan that same question last night while we were watching this yeah because i didn't recall that being a thing until like I was watching the movie and I was like, oh wait, yeah, that totally is a thing that he does. But it's great. It is a great idea simply because like you don't have to worry about going, well, what is he going to eat? A massive amount of fish? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Godzilla nineteen. I mean, who would do that in a movie? <laughs> I don't mind seeing like a half-chewed whale or something like that, you know, dropped on the screen. Like, where the hell did that come from? And then all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> everybody's like, oh no, we're doomed. <laughs> Very true. All right. The Soviets in the U.S., still with their raging war boners, just want to both hit Godzilla with a couple of nukes and be done with it. The Japanese prime minister says no way because duh. But the other two countries are like, we'll do it anyway if your plan doesn't work because we love nukes and we have cool new space nukes we really want to use, which those were pretty cool. Does this seem to you guys anything like the nuclear arms race in Japan commenting on it going, you stupid white folks are going to kill us all? Hmm, maybe. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, this, is Godzilla's, this is Godzilla's version of Superman for the quest for peace, basically. Although this isn't... <laughs> This isn't the first Godzilla movie to have commentary on the Soviets versus the USA. Godzilla Raids Again is actually commentary on that, with Godzilla playing the role as of like America or the USSR and Anguirus playing the opposite role, and about the American people just having to sit by and watch his two titans clash. But this is the first one to really seriously make a big comment on it. Well, it's threads like this that kind of carried on into like Shin Godzilla... And there's little pieces of that, especially like a lot of the dignitaries arguing back and forth what to do and all of the various yeah. people trying to figure it out and all the government getting in the way and the bureaucracy just basically becoming a problem. Even though that was more based on a nuclear reactor meltdown, I just really love the idea that this whole thing of these freaking diplomats and these government officials and the bureaucracy has no idea what to do with a giant disaster like this. And it just shows how useless they really are. And that all of our plans are meaningless whenever we come up against some kind of a force of nature like Godzilla. <laughs> well, this is also very important because this is the first Godzilla movie from the new government that was established at the time. So it's also really good for them to kind of use this new government as a new setting for a Godzilla movie. Because previously it was just an empire 
and now it's more of a democracy. So I think it was good for them to establish that. Oh, it's like a way of showing the world, hey, this is how our new government works, and this is how the new government will deal with the threat of Godzilla, which is still code for America and its nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla is us, folks. It really is. It's America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Godzilla heads toward Tokyo and bumps into a Soviet ship that was waiting to launch the nuke and causes a ceiling tube to smash the launch control and start the countdown, which... Doesn't make any sense, but... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, story's got to keep moving, right? Yeah. In a world where giant monsters exist and, you know, don't have brittle bones, you're going to comment on whether or not the believability of a button getting crunched by a a falling hall? (laughs) (laughs) It's 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 the finer things in life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, if we want to get nitpicky about details, I can do that. I'm cool with that. I just wanted to make sure that that's the line that we're drawing here. <laughs> no, that's it's it's mostly me. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I do it too, Dan. It's fine. I just find the weird things and I just can't let it go. <laughs> but then I'll be the first one to be like, "Well, it's a giant monster movie. Who cares?" <laughs> yeah. Well, what you should do is just say to yourself, "That's the way the model crumbles." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Mazer Tanks and the Super X action ensues while our heroes attempt to escape the lab building to get their homing device to the volcano. Godzilla gets knocked out with the Super X's cadmium missiles, but that pesky Soviet nuke launches, so the U.S. has to launch their own to intercept it. Because as we all know, the only way to stop a bad guy with a nuke is a good guy with a nuke. Ooh, prescient for modern times. Makes sense. I'm just taking a dig on that thing. <laughs> no, you're absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, I should have more nukes just so I can make sure that I'm there to be the deterrent to stop other bad guys with nukes. That's right. Brennan, get in the, get in the basement. We're doomsday prepping. <laughs> Better buy all of Pat Robinson's food buckets, man. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> no, that's the thing. He sells food buckets for people that are like supposed to be doomsday prepping. That's like his new thing. Oh, no, it's not him. It's Jim Baker. It's Jim Baker. I'm sorry. I got I got my uh, Christian maniacs mixed up. Jim Baker's the <laughs> one that's selling food back buckets to people like and trying to scare them into believing the apocalypse is here. Probably just full of hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what those are, but if they're anything like hamburgers, I'll give them a shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're the, the Trump hamburgers. The hamburgers. Oh, okay. And he had the typo. I can't let that go. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wash that down yeah. with some Kofifi. <laughs> Totally. All right, the missiles collide above Tokyo and create an EMP burst that also wakes Godzilla up. There's a Super X and Godzilla Tango until the homing device is activated and the volcano plan goes off successfully as the Prime Minister cries at the destruction of a magnificent creature and or complete relief nobody got nuked. And that'll do it for the synopsis. Sorry, guys. That was long. (laughs) No, it wasn't that bad. I do much longer on my show, which you should probably check out if you want to hear Filth and Fury. It's on Legion Podcast Network. Uh, (laughs) I do have a quick question for you having to do with the Super X as well. I know it doesn't have the drill like Atragon, but does this not feel like they're redoing Atragon for this era with the Super X? Yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised they didn't add a drill to it. Although, Mulgara they added a drill to, but I guess that's just because of his previous design. I, I I think that's more... I think they kind of redid it in Mogera in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. I'd say that's more of an accurate, I think mainly because of the size and its mobility, but yes, I do think that was kind of there, the way to redo it. I do kind of remember that one. Is that the one that was equipped with like the Mazer reflector that basically would channel Godzilla's energy back at him and kill him? Is that the one? 
That was Super X2 from Godzilla versus Biollante. Okay, yeah, I keep getting these all mixed up because they just kind of jumble together, yeah. There's so many, like, <laughs> robot mechas in this series. <laughs> well, and I know the I know the main creatures and everything like that, but I really kind of enjoy Godzilla on more of a uh, wrestling fanatic level where I just want to watch Kaiju stomp. Like, I think the one I enjoy the most is uh, Megagirus and him, because it's like a total wrestling throwdown. Yeah, that one is a lot like a wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, yeah, that's kind of one thing this movie seems to lack, though. I mean, it was it was for me, like, the first time I watched it, was that I was so used to watching the old ones with multiple monsters in it, and then to watch this when it came out on home video, I felt a little disappointed, because I was like, what, one monster, that's it? I kind of had the opposite effect. I really enjoyed Gojira, and I liked how it was just a single monster destroying a city, and it was focused on that one monster. So I was excited to watch this one, knowing that it was the only other, at the time, because Shin Godzilla hadn't come out yet, but at the time, the only other single Godzilla movie, and I don't count the 1998 TriStar one. Yeah, so I was very excited to see this for that reason. Yeah, even Godzilla 2000, he had a photo go up against, so it's not like a solo stomping mission. Yeah, and originally, in the original screenplay, he was supposed to fight a shape-shifting kaiju named Bagan, um, but then they, they scrapped that idea. I don't really know why, but they did. Because <laughs> it made too much sense, and it was way too cool. They had to go with some weird alien rock creature thing that's like a genetic splicer. <laughs> yeah, they, they work... Or for 85, they're going to use... Oh, Bagan. I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. So they, Yeah, no, that's fine. They, so they, they took that idea and then moved it to 2000. <laughs> well, they, they actually took the idea and they moved it to Godzilla vs. Destroya. And that for a long time was going to be Bagan. And then they decided to do like a rebranding and then they changed the design and called it Destroya. And... <laughs> well, at least it wasn't Space Godzilla. Let's just grab an old costume and throw some crystals on the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Space Godzilla. Yeah, I got <laughs> it's a soft my, spot. It's one of my guilty pleasures. It's a cool look to it, and it's kind of a neat idea, but it's very clearly like they're like, well, we got this extra costume from the last movie. I don't know. We got these crystals laying around from this new agey <laughs> store next door. Let's just, let's work something out. We'll call it Space Godzilla. People will dig it. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and that origin, too, just seems so just cobbled together. Well, they give quick. two origins in the movie, so... I feel like they really just didn't know what to do. So they're like, I don't know, I'll just give two origins and whichever one people like better, they can just think about it as that one. Whichever one they remember will retcon is that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Superboy Prime will fly in and punch one of Space Godzilla's shoulder crystals and then like retcon it. Or we'll just reboot the entire series multiple times. I'm, I'm fine with all of that. Just give me monsters smashing stuff and or each other. And while like, like what Brennan was saying, just to kind of piggyback onto that, I, I really enjoy the city stomping scenes in this. There's a lot of stuff that is reminiscent to the original Godzilla, where he's just wrecking stuff. But I also like to where he's being drawn in by the nuclear stuff, whether it's the nuclear power plant. And that's one of my favorite sequences there where he goes walking through that. I really love the way yes. that's shot. It's yes. really well done. And the suit acting in this is great as well. The the movements really feel like there is a giant weighty creature. He moves deliberate and slow. And each of the, like, even when he's grabbing the train in the city, and then you see the train start to buckle and things like that, they're moving it just right to where it really feels like this creature is just like, what is this thing and can I eat it? Yeah, well, the, the suit actor in it was 
Kenbashiro Satsuma, who had played Gaigen and Hidora previously. So he had some experience, and he lost a total of 12 pounds while filming this movie just because of how heavy and like hard it was to wear the suit. Well, yeah, it's a walking sweat sauna where the more you sweat, the more it soaks into the foam that they have around yeah. you. The more you start to overheat and the more you start to steam. He could only film for like 10 minutes at a time before he had to get out. Well, and they perfected the drop suit like in a couple of years after this, where the guys would just basically be able to jump in and out, and then the the suit would zip up super fast, and then they would just kind of like Velcro on or just quick fasten the spikes onto the back so that the guy could just basically stand there and just cool off. And I've seen a couple of like behind the scenes shots where there's just like sweat steam rolling off them (laughs) (laughs) after they jump out of the suit like that. It's just like, oh man, I can only imagine like what that would do to you. Yeah, you probably, I mean, you would live on milkshakes, right? I mean, like what else could you, (laughs) what, what, how else would you process enough calories to keep you going? It would be like milkshakes and like Gatorade, I suppose, (laughs) or, or whatever electrolyte sport drinks, you know, are endorsing Godzilla at that time. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Um, so yeah, we all kind of covered the first time that we watched it. Yeah. Sorry to spoil that. You can cut around it if you want. (laughs) No, no, not a problem. It's listen, I'm not going to be like, you must follow this guideline. (laughs) Despite how German I am, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So you're saying you're an Antifa podcaster? (laughs) we actually already covered how well this fits into godzilla lore because we've already really compared some of the other films before and after it and how well it seamlessly integrates i think yeah but i I do have some questions about it um brennan you'd probably know the answer to this or unless you do court um probably not as much as brennan because i i i will i will tip my hat to him he has done all of his reading and research I just know what I know from talking to other fans that are like super hardcore about it. I just love the movies and I just love to watch them. And I learn a little bit about the behind the scenes stuff later on. So Brennan, is this the same Godzilla in continuity from the the film that was before this one, which was the Mechagodzilla one, right? No. Okay. So yes, that was um, Godzilla or Terror of Mechagodzilla was a film that came out previous to this from 1975, but they erased all of the movies from continuity except for the very first one the gojira from 1954 and that godzilla still died but this is just a second godzilla that was awakened from a volcano eruption and is actually technically the godzilla from godzilla raids again but he just had a delayed awakening and woke up in 1985 instead of 1955. Well, this could also be considered a alternative timeline skew where he was never awoken in 1955 because they're ignoring that movie and it would be the exact same one. It's, and they kind of go with time stuff later on and they jump around and they manipulate the timelines of all the other movies. And that's kind of how this one got made, I think, is what they were talking about. Yeah, there was... There was a, cause there's a couple different theories because they never, Toho never really explains because in Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, they technically erase Godzilla from the timeline and replace him with Dorats and make King Ghidorah. But then, but I, I like to think about it as the Godzilla sore was never, never mutated into a Godzilla, never became a Godzilla, but was just killed. Like they didn't do anything. They never erased a Godzilla from a timeline. They simply just created a King Ghidorah and that makes the most sense. And they never, yeah, they never really give an official explanation, but yeah, that one really messes with the timeline. Yeah, once the time traveling comes in, it's just like, what 
what, what what are we doing here and how did these three cute babies become king Ghidorah? yeah yeah that movie's <laughs> weird and then you kill him and now he's a mecha god Ghidorah because he has one robotic thing wouldn't that be cyber Ghidorah? What, what's going on here toho what are you yeah. doing to me <laughs> <laughs> i love that design though oh it is really cool looking but he's not a mecha because it's only one head that's mecha the rest are yeah you know that's still living tissue there that's that's you know cyborg cybernetic uh endoskeleton with living tissue stretched over it you know <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so how about the human element of this movie? I thought it was boring, if I'm being honest. And I'm not one to say that all the human stuff from a Godzilla movie is boring, because there are quite a few Godzilla movies that have very interesting human characters. But this one, it's just kind of like, you got electric engineer boat guy. What does he do? He doesn't... He does things in the movies, but I feel like he never really has any motivation to do it. Then you have his sister, who does extra nothing... She... <laughs> she looks pretty on film. That's something for the 80s. And then she just kind of walks around and gets scared by Godzilla. And then you have the reporter guy who, he like does things. But again, I just feel like he doesn't have motivation. It's just kind of like the scientist says like, oh, you got to get me my box with a signal in it and then he does it you know like and even the doctor i feel because they they talked about it like oh your parents were killed in the 1954 attack do you want to kill godzilla now and he's like i did but now i don't it's like well then what are you doing <laughs> like, like he just no one has any motivation in this movie so you just can't connect to them i would agree with you except for the scenes with the actual government officials arguing back and forth i found that stuff really captivating but that just might be my age showing but yeah our main characters were supposed to follow i could not really care about them at all yeah i do really like all the government stuff they should have focused on that more i think and I'm this uh, the the original version of it has a very shocking lack of Raymond Burr standing around and being inserted into scenes. <laughs> uh, do we want to yeah. do we want to kind of talk about the U.S. version? Because I recall it being even more of a uh, sort of like shoehorned in Raymond Burr than the original Godzilla that had the Raymond Burr stuff shot in, where they superimposed him over scenes where he's like shaking his head and looking at what the scientists are doing, and he's like, "Yes, that's very interesting." And we're like, "You're clearly not there, dude." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I even picked up on that when I was a kid. I was like, well, this, Raymond Burr seems really out of place in this. Are they just cramming him in like the old movie? And then I'm like, oh, look at all this Dr. Pepper. <laughs> right? <laughs> the movie's just Raymond Burr and Dr. Pepper inserted into it. Although I'd have to say, I did I did kind of like Raymond Burr's inclusion because you have the government, like, hillbilly-sounding officials that are like, oh, we're going to nuke that lizard. And then Raymond Burr sitting there like, I saw the horrors of 1954. And then there's like, you want a Dr. Pepper? And like, he, he was like a good, like, <laughs> I feel like he, he portrayed his character well, but just everything around him was so ridiculous and dumb that it didn't work. Well, he gives this whole soliloquy in that sequence too, where he's just like, I was born the, the son of a poor merchant Irishman. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, eventually we made our way to Japan. And it's like, you can hear, you can just feel the director adding in these scenes where it's like, Raymond, we got to shoot like 70 more today. Come on. Just like, let's chop, chop, chop. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember seeing this as a kid. I saw that version with Raymond Burr in it. I mean, that was what they played on TBS. And that was like this big event thing. And so they had the Raymond Burr versions of both the original uh, Godzilla movie and then this 85, you know, Return of Godzilla, however you want to put it, with Raymond Burr in it. And I remember thinking how cool it was as a little kid, not really knowing, even though I was like, it really doesn't feel like he's in this movie. Why is he showing up? <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, as a, I, I find it kind of interesting that they 
did decide to make a version like that, if they were only going off the assumption that a lot of the U.S. audience had only watched the one with Raymond Burr. Yeah, and it cost them $3 million to shoot all those extra scenes and add everything. Most of that went into Raymond Burr's bank account and or liquor store. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and it, it, it didn't even gross that much money in the U.S., which was very disappointing. And that's pretty much why we never ever got uh, any more of those Raymond Burr cameo style Godzilla movies. Which is probably for the better because once they started hitting in the 90s and crossing over, it was it was a golden time for them to be showing up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you both on the, on the human element. I mean, definitely leaning more towards your point of view, Court, where I like the, the government stuff, but the rest of the humans, like, I don't know, you you could you didn't even really need them i guess they could have just been no-named people i did like the homeless guy though oh, just having a field day okay. just going around eating a bunch of food and then he just like helps out like the like our main characters escaping the city because i mean he's not like a mean guy but he's just there to like loot and have a fun day <laughs> he also gives zero cares about anything because at one point in time he grabs a brick and starts talking crap to godzilla like he's gonna yeah. take him on <laughs> with just a brick and i'm like i like this guy <laughs> oh yeah yeah i did space i did space that guy oh. yeah okay so that's a win for the human element for this movie yeah i'm gonna say with the government and the homeless guy it's like perfect that's you can follow those folks and everything's great it's just that your main characters are really kind of blasé and and 100 forgettable because i can't remember a single scene with them now and i just watched this like an hour before we recorded <laughs> yeah <laughs> we touched on the the design work and stuff of uh, godzilla and everything in this um let's talk about that some more uh, i have okay so apparently they they designed godzilla to look sad in this movie <laughs> they gave him like big sad eyes and they made his shoulders like really low set so he just looked like really depressed because i guess he's like i don't know like an abomination of nature and humanity but i just i didn't get that look and i just thought i think i think it's a good design but it just has like the eyes the face is what puts me off about the whole design well and Prior to this, Godzilla had gotten more and more like cat-like, which I don't dislike that look to his facial structure. I, I do, you know, I do kind of like it because, you know, it gives him that predator look as well. But they gave him more like the kitten cat look where he started looking more and more sweet. And, you know, he was beginning getting to be like a hero and everybody loved him again. And, you know, he was like defender of all of Earth against alien attacks and, and all of that kind of stuff. And with this one, they kind of took all of that and just kind of scrunched it all up and threw it away and went get ready to root for the bad guy everyone and i think that's what they were trying to do with the design where i know he seems sad and he's supposed to look like something's off but i i I feel like especially whenever he's doing the growling look and they get just the right kind of thing where it's like somewhat profile with the nose and then still somewhat straight on some of those looks whenever the teeth pop out and he does the the screonk or however you want to phrase it it actually does look pretty creepy and scary and i think it works i think it's just the direct face look of godzilla is yeah where that sadness thing comes in and it just doesn't quite work right i mean mostly godzilla is meant to be face in profile like whenever you're shooting him he needs to turn his face to the side and then come back because the design kind of flattens itself with the green and everything you don't really see the nose protruding except i would say and probably the the one i like the most is like the 2000 millennium area uh godzilla facial structure designs up until about final wars because that one looks good in profile but it looks really good straight on in the face 
face. All the other ones kind of just scrunch a little bit, you know? Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah. I didn't like his googly eyes in this movie. And you were right, Court, where there's there's just that one right angle where the eyes actually work, where he looks menacing. But for the most part, like, if you're looking straight on at him, his eyes are pointing in, like, crazy directions. And they're, they're a little too large, I think, for the tone of this movie, going darker and making him more of this villain in the story rather than the goody-goody friend all kids type of thing and i think in the sequel to this movie godzilla vs violante they fixed the design and they 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 shortened the face or they made the head smaller they made the eyes smaller they gave him like this really fierce menacing look and from there on forth throughout the series i think his design has to be my favorite of any era they really just refined the design i think after this movie it it looks really good my favorite look for godzilla is the more snake-like structure to the face where it's kind of goes more into a triangle instead of like being kind of rectangle where it just stops and then squares off at the end you know I, I like it to where it becomes pointy and it feels more predatory to at least the mouth structure although i really like the claws in the suit in this film the claws feel very menacing like he would just use them to scratch at something it almost feels like, uh, you know, like where you see Wiley e. Coyote doing something with his claw or like one of those cartoon kind of things where, you know, like the cat that's holding the mouse with a claw or something. <laughs> like it just like it feels very like even though it's feline, it feels sinister, like a like more like a lion or a predatory cat that's like really terrifying. And I like that that look as well for for the claws, uh, the bone plates. They took them back essentially to what they looked like in the, the 55 era, and they didn't soften them as much as what we got. I mean, by the time we got to the very last Godzilla movie before this, the suit almost looked like it was made out of green crushed velvet, and the <laughs> the back plates, <laughs> the back plates were like so rounded off, they just looked like they kind of spray painted cardboard and like sort of cut them half-heartedly with, with, yeah. with like a box cutter, you know? Like it just didn't, it just, like they were just kind of like giving up and then spray painting stuff and what it kind to look like so to actually see like plates that looked kind of like they were menacing and solid and kind of you know like hard bone pieces protruding from his back i mean that's the thing about godzilla that attracts me the most is the bone plates in the back because that's the so like that's not right no animal should be carrying that around like it, it's like half armadillo and then half like that lizard with the fan down its back <laughs> you know with like the the armor structure of it and i love seeing him use those as weapons particularly i think that's why i like the millennium godzilla design so much is because i love the serious crazy protrusions of those plates that just look unnatural and wrong and dangerous and sharp yeah i think godzilla's dorsal plates are a very key factor of the design yeah because you can you can ignore everything else if those look awesome yeah <laughs> yeah if you don't get if, you, if they don't look right then it kind of ruins the godzilla for me anyway Mm-hmm. I mean, I do like the I do like those Millennium ones. Like, uh, I look at it now and I'm like, wow, what a product of its time, though. Of like, this Godzilla is gonna be extreme. I do like it. I have, uh, <laughs> but it does look cool, though. It does look really cool. <laughs> I imported the uh, Godzilla Millennium Edition figure. Yeah, it's actually the uh, special version of that, though, because you can't get the one with the the actual purple plates. So it's the one where they colored it to look like the uh, the version from like the you know late 50s and the 80s and all that, where it's like sort of green and everything. Um, I think I think it's the Bandai Tashimi figure. It's the SH Monster Arts Godzilla 2000 special color version. I know because yeah. I have it. Yeah, you had to open this can of worms court. Yeah, I know. no. <laughs> well, I got I got that one. I had to get that one because it's so articulate that you can pose the hands and everything. Yeah, I have I think 15 
SH Monster Arts figures at this point. Wow. Yeah, I have a fairly large collection of them, and they're all exquisite figures. Yes, I love them. So it's SH Arts, you said? SH Monster Arts. SH Monster Arts, yes. That figure is incredible, and I love all of those figures. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking to amp up your college fund and you want to unload those on somebody, <laughs> yeah, your dad knows how to get a hold of me, and I will throw a bunch of money your way at some of them. <laughs> to get off topic a little bit, uh, the 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 most expensive one that I have is the Kiryu or the Mechagodzilla three from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. I bought that one for around two hundred and eighty dollars, and it is oh, it's such an amazing figure. It comes with the the backpack, like the missile backpack, and the Mazer cannons on the arm, and it is just mm, such a great figure. So is Bandai the one that was doing the ones in America that were slightly less articulate but still pretty cool, and they did the video game version of Godzilla as well? That's NECA. That's NECA's. Okay, so I've got two of those. I've got the original black and white 1950s Godzilla from that one. Yeah, I have that one. And then I have, I think it's like an 85 or 86 one that's pretty similar to this guy, but it's around that era of Godzilla. Godzilla, where he's the little more leaner one, or maybe he's the 90s version. It's 94, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. They did that one, that yeah. version of Godzilla. Yeah, because just kind of like, I, I got those on my, they're right here on my recording console. That shows you how much of a Godzilla fanatic I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I remember just, I, I bought these based on, I looked at the photos of the figures and I saw them laying out there and I was like, okay, these are all awesome. I have to have them. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to mention that a little bit. And I do, I bought one of the actual like uh, Toho branded Godzilla masks. Um, I had one, I, I had it shipped over from Japan, like the kids like latex mask you can throw over. I don't know if you guys have seen that. And that's from the 54 design as well. Oh, yeah. I've seen that before. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I had to have it. I totally had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> and then a friend of mine actually moved to Japan and he bought me the bank where if you put a coin down and then press it, it makes the Godzilla music noise. And then you hear the roar or what have you. And then Godzilla's hand comes up and pulls the coin down under the water. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did, I saw that too. I do want to get that. That is, it's pretty fun. And next on my list is the humidifier. I don't know if you've seen that there's a person I, yes. I was just gonna bring up the humidifier <laughs> that thing is so badass i have to have that on my desk at work i don't even care if i need a humidifier at work or if it'll damage my work computer i have to have it there <laughs> yeah we were going off about that the other day yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's the merchandising stuff is super cool on this but i i don't know do we have an 80-ish godzilla era figure or anything like that that's out there or does it just not get enough love well the only 84 figure um um, that's good is the NECA one, but that only saw limited release and it's really hard to find one. There's also two versions, one where the head was like really small and he had like a really long neck. I don't know, it wasn't a very well sculpted figure. And then there's another version which looks a lot better, but still isn't still isn't the best. And then SH Monster, it's made a figure of the 1989 Godzilla for Godzilla vs. Biollante that's like seven inches tall and like there's a button on his dorsal plates where if you press it, his dorsal plates will like light up blue and it'll play like a Godzilla song and then his mouth will light up blue like he's shooting atomic breath. It's a great figure, but that's the closest we've ever gotten to like a high-end 84 figure. So sadly, there isn't much. Now, do you have the Shogun Warriors that was like from the 80s? Did you manage to pick that up somewhere? No, I never really cared to. I, I like to get the ones that are More nice modern. and detailed and yeah. nicely articulated. Uh, well, there's there's some of us that are of a certain age that have a very af loving affinity to the Shogun Warriors. <laughs> yeah. And that actually, the, the Shogun Warriors were before my time, but the thing was is I had one handed down to me from like a friend of 
my mother's kid who was like cleaning out his room and he like gave me that and an ad ad imperial walker and i gave the ad ad imperial walker away because i'm like no star wars yes godzilla (laughs) (laughs) and i wish i would have kept it because it was in really good shape but i ended up handing it down as well um i bought a replacement for that i got the three foot long legendary pictures version of godzilla 2014 oh yeah yeah that thing they're making is... a new they're making a new one actually oh i'll probably buy that one too but that thing is amazing my wife was making fun of me because she caught me snuggling with it on the couch watching a godzilla <laughs> movie because <laughs> i was playing with it while i was watching a godzilla movie you know because I'm, I'm a big kid i don't care and like uh i kind of got tired i tuckered myself out and i'm just like i might as well have been laying there sucking my thumb holding on to it like a five-year-old because that's basically what <laughs> the position she caught me in <laughs> and she's just like oh are you serious i'm like yeah i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i wanted to talk about the the sets and the just just the model work and everything involved with the godzilla destroying the city i think that those sets looked awesome whenever like people were climbing around the rubble and everything it looked so good and when godzilla was hitting the buildings and you could see like the different floors inside them yeah yeah because this this movie effects were done by teriyoshi nakano who did almost all of the previous godzilla movies and this is actually his last movie that he did and yeah i think he he really went all out and then also shinji higuchi um was actually uncredited but he also worked on the special effects who you like this went on and later made the effects for um the gamma trilogy from the uh, 90s and that model work looks so amazing best gamma stuff ever is those three in the 90s yeah oof. best oh gamma stuff the, ever hands down the model work will just absolutely make you believe it yeah so i think this movie has a really strong really strong special effects team and i think it really shows because i think almost all the model work looks exquisite and it seemed to me like they composited in some of the people to make it even more believable and this may be the one where everybody makes a reference of the people running away screaming from godzilla because it feels like this is the one that you see that a little bit more with the compositing yeah yeah and that's a trick that they love to do in the rest of the heisei era and i think it it was really well established in this movie you got a real sense that like there's people you know there's like actual civilians like running away in the previous movies oh they destroy a city but you never see like oh you never see somebody like someone's on that bridge and then it cuts to the bridge like blowing up or something like that like it makes you makes it a bit darker and more realistic i was just gonna say it ties back to the original godzilla movie that they're trying to hearken back to with this one because you do see the toll that is left behind and the devastation from the fires and the nuclear release from his nuclear breath or his atomic breath or what have you and you actually see victims that are left behind and you see the human devastation and as Godzilla became more and more of a hero they started filtering that away and like they always are like the city has been fully evacuated everything is safe and then yeah. they <laughs> smash the city you know like they're always trying to make Godzilla more and more of a good guy and this film is the first one to kind of throw that away in the long time and they did it big where it's like you really see the cost of human lives and they they really kind of take that and move with it more in the rest of the series from here on out and then when they restarted with the Millennium series there's even times where Godzilla notices someone in a building is just like it's your time to die and then just specifically smashes that room yeah that was, that oh, was yeah. Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah Giant Monsters <laughs> All at Attack from 2001 that yeah. movie is that movie, Godzilla's just brutal. Like, the first time he unleashes his atomic breath in, like, however many years, it just creates an atomic explosion. Like, he just lays waste in that movie. Yeah, and that's supposed to be the one where he comes back and he's, like, the inhabited by the soul of all the Chinese that were tortured in World War II or something um, like that? Um, th- there's a lot of, like, 
misinterpretation and how that is it's it's the it's the souls of the people who died in the 1954 attack and then by extent the people who died in world war ii being forgotten so they re-emerge as godzilla to make everybody remember again. That's kind of what goes down in that one. It's really confusing. Wow, my explanation was significantly less convoluted and holy <laughs> that's a lot of writing, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's like that's like ham-fisting that message in where it's like, this is why we're going to have nuclear proliferation again. It's because we've forgotten the tragedy of World War II. Yeah, I, I think that movie, that movie has a lot to it. Well, I really dig the Baragon fight in that one, but we're not talking about that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't decided exactly what the next movie is yet. So if we end up going with that one, I might have a lot to say. (laughs) I think if you're the casual Godzilla viewer, kind of like, I mean, I don't want to say I'm casual because obviously I collect the figures and everything. But like, if you just want to love the movies for the movies themselves and like the surface and the fighting and the monsters and all of that kind of stuff and enjoy the model work and you don't really like get into the actual plot lines and the stories that one gmk really just kind of it wrecks your brain the first time you're watching you're like wait what Mm -hmm. (laughs) why am i getting this zombie godzilla with the silver eyes what what are you doing here wait that's (laughs) that's supposed to be baragon but that's not even in this universe what do you what are you doing here (laughs) wait Ghidorah's a good guy they're guardians of the earth what (laughs) (laughs) yeah that one's that one's all over the place well i wanted to bring up too as long as we're talking about the monster element i love godzilla's atomic breath in this yeah yeah like, that was a really cool effect it, it still i think it still contained like a nice haziness to it but it also like i love the scene where he's at the dock and there's all the military vehicles lined up and he just looks over and just blows up all the all the vehicles and stuff that scene has to be one of my favorites the atomic breath looks so good and the effects were so good yeah and it had the cool curve to it yeah i like the curve i used to not like the curve but now it's really grown on me it's almost like he's he can like direct it somehow like he has like an element of small element of control i always like the idea or the the thing that they show where he's like collecting ions or various other particles out of the air to start formulating his breath i love that look and that's kind of like the only thing that's really missing from this but everything else that i love especially in the millennium series where you really see like the ball start to form where the energy start to collect and then it like it's just this solid beam that shoots out i mean that's like kind of the only thing that's missing from this but it feels like those later cgi aided versions of the breath that i love and they really took the time to animate it and i think they did a really good job of adding practical effects around the suit and then the area that he's hitting to really sell it it's not like animated in after the fact and it's like two seconds after the explosion that it was supposed to cause happens like you see in some of the later 70s versions of this mm-hmm. okay well let's move on uh anybody else have anything else to say about the monster element of this well should we talk about the animatronic oh <laughs> yes can, can we not can we not bring that up <laughs> can, we just, can we just move on can we not it talk has about to be that? it has to be addressed yeah we have to talk about the 16 foot tall animatronic godzilla that they made for this movie and basically didn't use for this movie for okay so for those of you who don't know they built a 16 foot tall animatronic godzilla for this movie and it costs near half a million dollars just for the thing to barely ever work and for it to only be used in a handful of shots and you can tell which ones they are oh yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna press the denial button here that that's fake news that doesn't exist that's not true (laughs) (laughs) there's really scary photos of it too without any of like the the skin on and so the animatronic if you can tell it's godzilla really creepy stuff they could have reused that and made it the new uh kiru or you know mecha godzilla (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just don't know why they decided that they were like, well, Godzilla's big. Let's make this really big. Yeah. That does not make any sense. Unless they had it planned that he was going to, like, eat people or something. I don't know. No, but even then, it wasn't even nearly close to the scale that they had, like, building on. Also, I mean, I guess with the scale being bigger, the, the model work that they did could was, like, bigger so they could get more detail in. I think that might have been part of the idea. It's like, oh, well, no, if we enlarge Godzilla, then we enlarge the scale factor, and then you can make the models more detailed and stuff like that. But it, it, they just never did it. They just kind of wasted half a million dollars on this useless prop. Actually, the same thing happened with Shin Godzilla. They spent all this time making this massive animatronic Shin Godzilla, and it had the same problem. It barely worked. It cost a lot of money, and I think it wasn't even used in any shots for the entire movie. So I guess they didn't learn from their mistake. Well, and all you have to do is listen to the horror stories of the shark Bruce on Jaws to know that the animatronic thing is probably not your best bet. At the very least, do yourself like an alien's queen rod puppet, which could be the exact same size. I mean, the thing that they did with Aliens, with the rod puppet for the Queen, was incredible. And even when they just had trash bags over it, when you see the test footage of it, it's still scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, animatronics were huge, and I think I'm going to blame the uh, Jeff Bridges Kong for that. Because, I, you know, the D Dino De Laurentiis Kong... Because they used a lot of animatronics for that, and because they had the animatronics Kong in Universal Studios for, like, ages, I think that kind of maybe drove their decision to try and do one better. Yeah, I was reading on that, and that's actually what it was. They actually watched that movie, and they saw, like, oh, wow, they built this massive animatronic King Kong. And even that one didn't work all the yeah, time. Yeah, that one was problematic, They should have just learned from that. <laughs> well, yeah, the way that it rips off the top for, uh, is it Faye Dunaway that's on there? No, not if I don't away. Oh, um, yeah. When it, there's that split second where it takes her top off. Yeah. But the finger on that is not even bending right. And like the only reason that I never noticed it before was because boobs. <laughs> the, didn't, didn't it get stuck flipping everything off? Like the middle finger animatronic yeah. wasn't working yeah, the, right? There's a couple of scenes where it sure looks like that middle finger is extended when the rest. It's like how I used to try and whip people off when I was a little kid to get away with it. Like just pretending like I'm just closing my hand without my middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> is that what brennan's been doing to me this whole episode what no it's the animatronics in my hand i'm pretty <laughs> sure he's just gonna whip you off he seems like the type <laughs> of kid who has the gumption to do that maybe yeah <laughs> plus dan you're an old punk rocker you're just gonna go oi 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 and laugh at it <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> as long as his mom doesn't know about it <laughs> Hopefully she'll never hear this episode. She might listen. I love you, honey. <laughs> She's like, that That guy from that filthy show that's always on your phone? No, I don't want to hear him talk. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I was just going to say something that she heard and forget it. I can't say it on this podcast. <laughs> we'll just leave that out. It was filthy. Whatever it was, it was filthy. That's all you need to know. Well, here's an interesting fact, or fact, not like little story. They went to Akira Fukube, who did the score for all the other Godzilla movies before this, and they asked him, hey, we're making another Godzilla movie. Do you want to like do the score? And he's like, no. Also, you can't use like any of my music. So this movie has an entirely new score. 
How do you guys think the new score was for this movie? I really just kind of ignore it. I don't even notice it. And it's very shocking lack of anything that feels like what you would get from Bay or the people that were able to actually at least use portions of it and do different things with it. Yeah, this was totally forgettable. Like, I honestly, I didn't even take the score into account or even notice it at any point that I'd be like, wow, that's really accenting that building smash. You know, like it just totally does not even register. That's kind of how forgettable that is. Yeah, the only parts that I actually liked were like the, the they had this like slow kind of like jazzy parts and it reminded me a lot I don't know if you've heard it but the Neon Genesis Evangelion soundtrack has a lot of this like nice like slow jazz to it and I think it those parts I think sounded nice and I'm a music guy I like to pay attention to that kind of stuff well I definitely noticed the J-pop stuff that was in this because that's the thing I dislike the most about the Japanese cinema that I watch is the J-pop that gets thrown in <laughs> I must be the, I must be the only guy that likes anime, Godzilla movies and other things like, you know, from Japanese culture but does not like the J-pop music as much. Yeah, I don't. It's not that I hate it, it's just that I'm just like I don't get obsessed with it where I'm like it's still pop music and I'm not a big fan of pop. okay, I guess it's awesome. Yeah, blare your baby metal. Go ahead. I was at a gaming convention selling my comic and stuff and I had to be next to a table that played that the really loud the entire time nobody running the con had a problem with it and it was just loud all weekend like 14 hours a day (laughs) yeah that was awful so basically they were trying to break you down and interrogate you (laughs) (laughs) didn't work (laughs) I didn't crack I'm the unbreakable Dan (laughs) I got close though well and I don't mind some of it it's just you got to catch me with the right stuff at the right time but like there's some people that are obsessed with like save the earth from Hidora, and i'm like really yeah i don't get that (laughs) also godzilla um godzilla versus mecha godzilla from 1974 has this really long beach scene where this woman's like waking up king caesar and she sings for like two minutes and it's just this song about king caesar and it's so long (laughs) and annoying I actually was on another show where we talked about that because I'm a really big fan of that movie. And that's the only thing in that movie I don't like. Yeah, I really like that movie. but I love this sort of like surf rocky soundtrack that they do for that. That so works for me. And it just clicks with my old school punker mentality of, well, surf rock's okay because, you know, it's it's it's, it's classic. Let's go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like surf rock and rockabilly, man. That's that's where it's fat. You know, that's you just speed up those riffs like Chuck Berry and that's where your punk comes from. So that stuff's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I really dig the fight scene set to that stuff, you know, with any kind of the surfy rock soundtrack. And there's a couple of movies where they did that in. And that's like my bread and butter for the fights that I love. But then all of a sudden she just sings about how amazing King Caesar is. And I'm like, wait a minute, don't we already have to put up with this with Mothra? What the hell? Yeah. (laughs) And Judd Jaguar's song. Granted, that one, that one's kind of catchy, but I still don't like it. There's so many other things to not like about that movie with Jet Jaguar besides the song, including Jet Jaguar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love Magalon. Don't get me wrong. It's completely ridiculous. But like Jet Jaguar and the guys who make Jet Jaguar just drag that movie down Mm -hmm. ridiculously. Oh, yeah. Although the 75 foot long slide tackle that Godzilla does is still pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a realism, guys. (laughs) yeah no i want to talk more godzilla no it's oh no we will we will (laughs) um favorite scene Ooh. uh oh oh don't make me pick like this i can Um, i can pick i got it yeah yes go all right please 
this when he smashes the nuclear reactor all the smoke comes up and like it's just like everywhere and it almost completely obscures him and then he walks out and he's kind of like underlit i just get chills and i'm like oh i can't say what i would normally say but oh f-bomb yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh hamburgers yeah you know i'm just like yes <laughs> yeah that scene is that scene second for me i'd say my number one scene is i mentioned this earlier the scene where he's at the bay with all the military vehicles line up and he just turns his head and just takes out like this whole defense and they have this whole scene but like oh we're setting up all these tanks and it's gonna be this big defense force and Godzilla just walks up and one blast of atomic breath just takes out everything there call me when you guys have mazers i'm out <laughs> <laughs> yours mine is when he's knocked out from the cadmium missiles uh-huh. and the emp causes him to be struck by lightning and he comes back like a frankenstein yeah it's, that seems it's, fun it's, it's super cheese and super fun and i like it and i know that's <laughs> i was gonna say that also harkens back to king kong versus godzilla but in reverse where godzilla is actually weakened by electricity and then it's uh godzilla versus mecha godzilla the original one for some reason all of a sudden he can be charged by electrical energy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the the whole thing with Godzilla being charged... Well, also, actually, in Godzilla vs. Ibera, he's awakened by lightning in that movie. Yeah, they have a... I know from some of the stuff that I've read and that I've kind of heard various stuff, you know, behind the scenes talk about the Godzilla movies, the War of the Gargantuas was they wanted to do their own Frankenstein, and so they had this thing where they wanted to keep having monsters revived by lightning because they keep wanting to reference Frankenstein's monster, you know, so that does kind of tie through, and I think that's why they had him resurrected in Ebra like that because they wanted to kind of have this reference to Frankenstein's monster because they keep when they get an idea they eventually use it is how it works with Toho <laughs> like it doesn't doesn't matter how many years it is they're gonna use it eventually with Ibra it was actually Ibra instead of Godzilla in that movie it was actually going to be King Kong and previously they had King Kong you know powered by lightning so this movie they're like always oh, going to be like in this island in this cave things be struck by lightning and awaken but then the Toho executives were like because it was this was like the mid 60s so they were like oh we gotta make money let's let's throw in a godzilla that'll be that'll be that'll make us more money right and that was actually um the most financially successful godzilla movie up until um godzilla 1984 it went downhill from that movie on so yeah well and didn't they have a problem with getting the rights or something for king kong and they're on that time frame as well because wasn't laurentis causing problems for them in the 70s because he was trying to get his off the ground yeah there was and also like because they made their own two or they made their own king kong movie and i think after that the rights were kind of up for is that king, king kong. kong escapes the one where he versus mecha kong yes i do dig mecha kong yeah mecha yeah. kong's fun i also love that there's a doctor who but not how you would think it's spelled <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's also a bad guy so he's kind of like the master <laughs> pretending to be the doctor yeah and they they make a mecha kong to do mining and then they want to trick kong into mining and digging it's really bizarre yeah that movie's weird <laughs> but yeah doesn't kong get charged by lightning in that one and that's how he beats mecha kong it's like they just basically took that same plot and then they did uh mecha godzilla <laughs> yeah i think he just i think he just hits it enough <laughs> <laughs> isn't that like an ape just to use sheer dumb brute force yeah <laughs> okay so does anybody have any final thoughts and would you recommend this movie i would recommend this movie to somebody trying to get into the godzilla series i tell them first watch gojira then if they want something in color because they're annoying they say that type of thing 
I only watch movies in color. Yeah, okay, then watch this movie because this movie does a good job of establishing what Godzilla is about, kind of the tone of most of the Godzilla movies, and it's just overall, I think, a good movie, and I think that's that's how I'd say this movie. I think I'd say that it's a good movie. It's not perfect. There's some flaws, but I th I'd say overall it's good. Okay, Dan, I need you to take everything that he just said and then make it sound like I said it, because that's that's it. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Samesies, Brandon. Samesies. Well, that definitely cuts down on some editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my final thoughts on this is that um, I get where they were going with it. I, I feel that in some ways it's a miss, but in a lot of ways it's a hit. Like, they, they really brought godzilla back they made the tone a lot darker which i appreciate which they really nailed it in the next one with the godzilla versus violante mm -hmm. but i feel this was almost like a test run for that where some of the things that they did just felt really old-fashioned and that can either be that can either be like like eating a nice warm chicken pot pie or something or it could be a turnoff for people you know either it's comforting or it's not I mean, it made $11 million, so I think it was very comforting for the executives. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> they didn't get fired. <laughs> yeah, I, I still enjoy this movie a lot. I mean, it's I, I still do recommend it. I think I'm probably just being a little picky with this one for some reason like i'm being i think it goes back like to the first time i watched it as a kid and i felt a little let down <laughs> i think i still kind of carry that beef but it has warmed up i have warmed up to it quite a bit and the last like three or four times i've watched it i really appreciate it a lot more and that scene on the the boat with the dead guys and stuff is great it's like a horror movie mm -hmm. yeah it's really reminiscent of the first godzilla movie where they find what's left of the boat and they kind of have to look at it too yeah it really sets up the tone for what they're going for and i i definitely appreciate that this is where all the kids in the theater were like what <laughs> people are gonna die I, I thought he was gonna fight monsters yeah <laughs> he's supposed to protect us <laughs> <laughs> okay well, I guess that wraps it up, guys, for our general discussion. Court, would you like to remind our listeners, the dongles, yet again about your podcast and where they can find it? Absolutely. So if you're sick of being safe and sane and having podcasts that you can trust not to destroy you mentally and emotionally, you can head on over to legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. That's our main landing page for my show, Cinema Psyops. And I, I will warn you, we are raunchy. We are filthy. We weren't, we are in our explicit tag and someday our raunch will probably get us booted off of itunes but that's not going to stop us not for <laughs> kids <laughs> yeah barely for adults it's it's for it's for a niche audience of immature mature people but you know what though i i'd have to say though that despite all your raunch you guys have a lot of heart we try we're we're very much we emulate um a lot of the shock jocks from the late 80s early 90s that him and i both were very influenced by because that's the kind of radio that we listened to at that time and so we have the same kind of thing where we're trying to kind of get people to look at things in a different way and sometimes to like kind of like Lenny Bruce where if you want to you want to change people's perspective on things or you want to kind of give them a new perspective to look at you say it in the most filthy and disgusting way possible and then you just kind of trick them into thinking differently in a way <laughs> you know <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not like, I don't want to make it sound like our show has a full-fledged agenda. It's just that it's kind of, we've noticed that if we want to throw out some wacky ideas or weird interpretations of a film or, you know, accuse a movie of being pro-incest, the best way to do that is to basically do something weird and freaky and just kind of make people kind of off kilter so that when you throw an idea that may be not so crazy at them, they're like, well, that sounds reasonable because everything else we've <laughs> set up to this point is insane. <laughs> 
Well, awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on here. As a fan, it means a lot to us. Yeah. Well, and I'm a fan of your show. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not. I mean, I was, as soon as I knew that you guys were doing a show, I'm like, I, I have to hear this because, I mean, just based on some of the promos and stuff like that that you guys did for us, I knew that you guys were going to have a good dynamic. And I mean, Brendan constantly makes me redefine my dislike of children. So, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse yeah if all kids could be as cool as him maybe i wouldn't you know maybe i would actually want kids but it's like a crapshoot you never know what you're going to end up with and if they're anything like me they're not going to be cool <laughs> well i don't know i look at so there's days i look at him and i'm like oh man if i had just had a somewhat more structured life i would have turned out all right <laughs> You're like, look what the life I gave to him if I could have had the same things. Is that what you're saying? Oh, totally. <laughs> well, there you go. That's what parenthood is supposed to be all about. You're giving the life to your child that you could never have. So that's right. You know, Brennan's awesome and knows all this stuff about Godzilla because you gave him a safe environment to grow up and learn all of this stuff. <laughs> he also taught me a good chunk of Godzilla. I learned it by watching you, Dan. Yeah, I basically gave him, like, all my knowledge, and he just went with it. It was like planting a seed. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, you can now start calling yourself, you know, Scholar of Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed with what you guys have been doing with this series so far as well, as particularly with Brendan's knowledge. I mean, I'm, there's stuff where I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And I'll go look that up and I'll be like, whoa, there's all this other stuff. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So I, I, I hope that when people find these episodes of the Godzilla stuff, because I know they're going to gravitate towards it. Hopefully you guys have timed it right with the new release that, you know, they can kind of really get a new appreciation of some of the films that maybe they didn't have before. Because like I said, I'm just primarily the guy that just loves to watch it. And, you know, for the wrestling aspect or for the monster throwdown and check out the effects and how cool they are. And there's very few of these that I actually sit back and try to engage with the human element. Although there's a few of them that I do like the people behind the scenes, you know, but it's kind of nice to have a podcast that focuses in on all of that. That stuff like what you guys have been doing so it's it's really great that you're doing it well, thank you yeah thanks here's a tissue bread <laughs> <laughs> oh stop i'm just a guy <laughs> that talks about movies that cuddles with his godzilla at night when his wife's not looking <laughs> you gotta let me know where i can find one of those for when my wife's out of town <laughs> they're super expensive now so you might want to wait for the new movie to come out when they re-release them with the new sculpt yeah it does look really cool yeah to say that. it'll be it'll be in walmart on april 1st and that's not an april fool's joke yeah because like i said when i bought mine i think i paid like 40 bucks for it and i think i just picked it up at one of those stores like a walmart or something like that and seeing it online now they sell for like three four hundred bucks yeah Wow. So I, I'm cuddling with, you know, money in the bank, basically. That's why I'm hugging. And I'm like, you're worth so much more than what I paid for you. Even out <laughs> of the box. <laughs> with my fingers oils devaluing you as we speak. <laughs> we also have a very special announcement. Oh. For the, this little mini Godzilla marathon that we're doing. And I will be appearing in Artist Alley for the 2019 G-Fest in Chicago, Illinois, near the O'Hare Airport. From July 12th to July 14th. It'll be at the Crown Plaza, Chicago O'Hare. If you love Godzilla or you want to get into it, go to G-Fest. It is a blast. It's a ton of fun. We've been to several over the years. Yes. And we'll be there. So, like, if you show up and you, you know, you say something to us, like, we're a dongle, too, we'll know. Yeah, totally <laughs> come by the table and be like, I'm a dongle. 
And maybe I'll have a little extra free goodie for you. Ooh, hear that? <laughs> I will definitely have some. A couple, I have to be very limited about it, but a couple kaiju-themed prints I'll be selling along with my comic book grid current and other grid current items such as t-shirts, stickers, patches for your battle vests, (laughs) (laughs) all sorts of stuff. So stop on by. It'll be fun. And that's all I have to say about that. So I guess from here on out, if you want to get a hold of us, give us some feedback. Right, Bren? Yeah, we really (laughs) need it. So wherever you listen to us, you can, you know, just feel free to rate and review. Please. We're available on the Apple Podcasts, iTunes, please. our home at Podomatic, and also on Spotify, around the spoofy. Mm-hmm. And you can email at us. Or do you want to join in on this, Court? Oh, no, that's, that's fine. This is all your show. I mean, I gave everybody where to find me, so I was just holding back. <laughs> well, no, because we always just say it in unison. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. You can email us at Corrupted Youth Pod at gmail.com. Where you just making noises? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I guess that's all we have for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Court, mm-hmm. for being an amazing guest. Well, we'll let your listeners' numbers decide on that, won't we? <laughs> well, you know, there's like, well, excluding you, probably like tens of people. <laughs> well, after I've been on the show, you'll have fives of people. Ooh. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Maybe we'll get some of that sweet negative feedback. <laughs> Don't ever have that guy court back on, please. Just whatever you do. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us. Hang in there, dongles. Zero!
All right, give me a five-minute smoke break. I'm going to be right back. <laughs> <laughs>